Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready? Yep. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Free Press Sports Show. Uh, maybe maybe we're not going to say show. Maybe Free Press Sports. In any case, with Carlos and Sean, that is Carlos Menares, who is a sports writer, feature writer, columnist at Detroit Free Press, along with me, Sean Windsor. Uh, I guess I'm a columnist, Carlos. Am I a columnist? I don't know. I mean... I, I write about sports. What once a week, once a month. <laughs> it's that's you're getting really existential to kick this off. But uh, yeah, let's call Mick McCabe and ask him exactly what your title is and how often you work. And and we'll figure this out. But in any case, we're going to be here every Thursday to talk about sports and uh, I don't know food, maybe Carlos, uh, pop culture. We're going to have some guests from our newsroom talk about the stories of the week. Uh, you know, surprises here and there. We're probably going to wrap up the show. At least we're going to start wrapping up the show. With something Carlos calls my favorite thing, which was shocking to me that he actually likes something enough to call it my favorite thing. That'll be at the end of the show. You'll have to wait for that. This uh, debut episode, though, we're gonna we're gonna start off with some football. Tackle the three teams that y'all love and maybe loathe at times: and the Lions, the Spartans, the Wolverines. And we're gonna move on to Miguel Cabrera and what he accomplished a couple of weeks ago with his 500th home run. And then we're going to wrap up with the uh, the Little League World Championship Series from the team and Taylor. Carlos has some really good insight, wrote a really good column today. We'll talk about that uh, later. At some point very soon, we're also going to have a surprise guest, maybe to talk about the first section here. Carlos has no idea who this is. But, uh, Carlos, let's uh, let's kick off with the, with the Lions. You've been out and uh, camp for a lot. I know you took a little bit of a break to celebrate your – what was it? Was it 60? 60th birthday? 75, Sean. 75. 75. Yes. 75. Okay, fine. 50. Happy birthday, <laughs> belated birthday, by the way. But no, seriously, you've been you've been at camp for a while, and I'm curious uh, what your impressions have been of this new regime and uh, what kind of year we might expect. Oh, boy. Um, how much time do we have on this? Uh, Take as much time <laughs> as you need. I think I think everybody at this point has understood that expectations should be tempered. It, it's going to be a process. Everybody knows that it's going to be a couple years. Despite what Jared Goff just said or asked, why not us? As far as winning the NFC North, well, why not us? There's probably 53 reasons why not us. But you know, th- this is not a team. I mean, there are teams that go from worst to first in the you know win their divisions. But there's a lot of stuff that plays into that. Injuries for other teams and, and you know, uh, surprise plays from or, or performances from young draft picks and key free agent acquisitions. The Lions are still finding their way. The, the kicking situation is going to be probably a little bit rocky. Um, we don't know what we have in Jared Goff yet specifically because he barely played in the preseason. Um so it's just going to be this process, and I think it's a two-year process. So this year, you know, what we want to see, I think, from the Lions is progress, you know, small progress. You know, it, can the offensive line be close to as good as people hope? Can Jared Goff steady the ship and play close to what he used to play at with the Rams when he was at his best with a decent run game? Can the run game be better? 
Can the defense be better? Little things like that. I don't think that's going to, we're looking for 10 wins this year, you know, but it's all a process. And as the roster starts, you know, taking form with the, with the cut down to the 53-man roster, uh, I think we're going to see more of what the identity is that, that Brad um, Holmes and Dan Campbell want to see. That's a, uh, okay, I mean, I, that was not too long an answer, Carlos, yeah. I guess, right? Not for me. Eh, you did all right. Hey, I think we have a surprise guest out there. Can you hear us, Dave Burkett? I'm in. How are you guys? How about that, Carlos? There's no way we're talking about the Lions on our <laughs> debut podcast here without the without the main man. I don't know how this worked. Sean and Dave are two of the most technologically inept people we have in the sports department, and they, they're combining forces to bring us this star quality power packed uh uh you know acquisition here in Daybreakhead. I'm, I'm really impressed by both of you guys you know what it's it's i mean give credit to dave and tad who's our producer by the way and who's making this happen he's the one that that uh sort of what's what's the right word dave he's the one that guided this technology to get you in here i take no credit at all yeah i think he just he realized you guys needed some somebody with a little bit of perspective i mean since you've been out to training camp like three times total so someone oh. with, with some real knowledge of what's been going on so that's that's why i'm, I'm joining you guys today i know i was out of summer camp and then i had a ill-timed uh a break, I guess I should say, for some family stuff. Move my kid off to college and some some other things that were. No, I, I expect it from you, Sean. It's Carlos that I, you know, I, both <laughs> you guys, but but really Carlos. You know, I'm, I feel I, I'm hurt out there by myself. So I know I I know we don't have you for very long here. You're you're about to pick up your kiddos, uh, right? You're about to walk up to an elementary school. Is that is that my understanding? Sitting outside in my car right now. Yeah. Okay. See, not only is he the best beat writer in America, Carlos, he might be the best dad. Can we say that? Well, if if you count uh, drawing up bad uh, bad basketball offenses for his for his daughter, yeah, yeah, he is the best dad. Oh, that hurts more than anything. Yeah, I, I know he he's. I think he said that with love. Can you can you give us? I mean, we just got Carlos's perspective, and I don't know. It was weirdly sort of patient and optimistic. But what can we expect from this team from your perspective, Dave? This fall, what, what can Lions fans expect? Are we looking at two wins? five wins uh, seven wins yeah it's gonna be a lean year i mean I, I wouldn't expect much in terms of the the win column i mean they they strike me as a a five win or so team um but we all knew that you know we knew this was going to be a, a step back year and um you know their roster is going to be really young and you know they're going to have a lot of holes and they'll probably patch some in the coming days through the waiver wire but um, you know, what they, what they look like now, I, I don't think will be anything what they look like a year from now when they presumably have a new quarterback and, you know, they use some of that cap room on, on some, maybe some, some big name free agents. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think it's going to be a pretty lean year for the Lions as well. Car- Carlos, if I may just real, real quickly, D- Dave, with all the, the, the rookie class, the rookie class of quarterbacks and how well some of them have played and how good some of them have looked, you, do you feel like the Lions uh, should have made more of an, an effort to try to get Ooh. one of these guys? Yeah, I mean, that's going to play out here over these next couple of years. You know, look, it, it's always tough when you pass on um, talented young quarterbacks in the top half of the draft when, when you need one so clearly, and they've done that two straight years. I mean, Tua, Tungo Bailoa, and, and Justin Herbert last year, and then you know, obviously Justin Fields and Mac Jones this year. And look, just to be frank, I was not of the belief that that the Lions should have taken either of those quarterbacks. You know, I just Fields was was sort of the one that I, I waffled on because he was such a, a well thought of prospect coming into the year. You know, a, a couple scouts I trust sort of 
you know, they, they steered me away. They, they said he was sort of the, the fourth quarterback in this class. So, um, you know, I thought if Trey Lance was there, that was a move the Lions should have made, you know, gone for the, the home run power. But I, I did not have them. I did not have a problem with them taking Panay Sewell. But uh, look, no one pays me for my scouting opinion. So that's uh, that's a decision that Brad Holmes and company are going to have to live with the next couple of years. Carlos, uh, w- w- what are your questions for the great uh, Dave Burkett? Well, I have a I have a question for I, I barely met him, Dave. This is Carlos Spinners. Respect the basketball knowledge, Carlos. Come on, never, never. Uh, so, so my question for you, Dave, is is about your new BFF, Brad Holmes, um, and he decided they decided to move on from Brashad Perriman, and you wrote a column about that, and you mostly made some good points, um, you know, when it was lucid enough to make points. But what was your take on this? Because they paid him two million dollars, he basically came in. I don't know, had a few cookies, some Gatorade, and got $2 million bucks and walked away. Should they have stuck with him? Was it was this a bad evaluation on Brad Holmes's part? No. Or do you like that they cut bait and moved on? I mean, it can be both, you know, but I don't think it was this this evaluation that all of a sudden calls into question his evaluating skills. I mean, we all knew Brashad Perryman was a journeyman, and, and the Lions were just hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, the guy was on his, what, fourth team, right, at, at this point of his career, so... $2 million is, is not much by NFL standards. And, um, you know, knowing that cap and cash are different, you know, uh, it still shouldn't have or didn't really impact the Lions from doing anything in free agency. So bad signing, obviously, but the Lions were right to move on. No reason holding on to him when when he so clearly was not going to be a part of, of you know, what the team does on the field this fall or in the future. Hey, hey Dave, before we let you go, and I know you got to get to your – your family there and your kids, it's, uh, it's fun to be doing that, I assume, picking them back up at school. It's kind of, you know, get them back out of the house a little bit after being home all summer. Not that we don't love having them home, but <laughs> in any case, <laughs> what do you think, um, and maybe from a fan's perspective or your perspective, that the Lions need to show that uh, Dan Campbell in particular, uh, to a lesser degree Brad Holmes, what, what do they need to show this fall to, to give the Lions fan a sense of, that maybe they're they're headed in the right direction. I mean, aside from uh, yeah. wins, never mind wins. Yeah, it's not going to be wins because they're they're not going to win much, you know. But um, look, I, I think ultimately, you know, I wrote this I don't know a month or two ago that what you're going to judge this team on is the progress that they make, right? The the young core pieces, their development, the offensive line. You want to see them be the cornerstone that we expect them to be. Panay Sewell, he's had some rough moments in training camp. You want to see him develop into you know, the, uh, the, the caliber of, of right tackle that everyone expects when you, when you make him the number seven pick of the draft. You know, Jeff Okuda, some of these young guys, you want to have a better sense of whether they're going to be building blocks going forward. And look, part of that certainly falls on, you know, Dan Campbell and his coaches to develop the players. Um, and, you know, then the other thing is just you want to make sure that, that you see competency when it comes to the X's and O's of the game and the game management and that, that sort of thing because it's not going to matter this year. But, you know, if, if Dan is the right guy for the job, and obviously everyone in the organization believes that he is, uh, you know, that, that stuff is going to matter in the near future. Well, listen, uh, uh, Carlos, I know you uh, joined me in saying we're, we're uh, grateful that you were found a few minutes for us in your busy schedule, being the uh, superstar that you are. Thanks for kicking this off or helping us, uh, helping us kick this off a little bit, and we will 
I we will see you soon, man. It's not going to be another month, I promise. Maybe, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, just before Thanksgiving, I'd be pleasantly surprised, <laughs> but hopefully, one of these days, I will see you guys. Man, I'm sorry the Pistons got good, and we had some basketball obligations. Uh, you know what I mean? We got to spread that, spread it around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. All right, December. Then I got to. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, man. I know you got to go. I can hear the kiddos in the background, and uh, we will catch up with you soon. Thanks. All right. Sounds good. See you guys. So there you go, Carlos. Uh, how, how was that for uh, a surprise guest? Well, that you know, for for the first and last appearance by Dave Burkett, because he, all he did was come on and rip us. So, uh, no, we'll, we'll not be talking to Dave Burkett again until he apologizes and sends us some kind of a gift or or honorarium or something like that. I, I, you know, I, I think uh, I think he needs to be nicer to us, Sean. You were really impressed with the fact that we were able to get him. I was. I mean, I know we're a newspaper. We still have a bunch of old world media. Folks floating around. We have we do have young people like Tad, who's producing the show, who I think just turned twenty one and can uh, <laughs> drink a beer, right? No, no, it's uh, it's uh, look, we're we're gonna grow and figure this out as we as we move on week to week, right, Carlos? I would imagine. Yes, this is this is okay. I'm not surprised because now that you told me it was it was Tad Davis, producer extraordinaire, who did it. We're all just talking monkeys. We don't we can barely press buttons, Sean. So. Yeah, it's Tad's magic. We don't know what we're doing. If if not for Tad, Sean and I would be talking into like paper cups with strings and trying to figure it out. No, for sure. But hey, keeping real quick, keeping with uh, with the theme of of what the Lions need to show and what Dave was talking about. What's your uh, what's your take? Uh, I want a Carlos hot take here on what they need to what you need to see. Forget the fans. You don't care about the fans anyway. What do you need to see <laughs> this fall from the Lions? Um, you know, like what Dave said, I, I, I hate to just kind of agree with that, but um, it's true. You want to see, like, so what where they've fallen flat is drafting slash overdrafting guys like Jeff Okuda. I want to see him become something close to what a first-round top 10 cornerback draft pick should be, you know, some more interceptions, um, you know, shutting things down in the corner, you know, locking guys down, you know, you want to see Panay Sewell, right? The rookie number seven overall draft pick at right tackle. You want to see him take steps and pancake some guys. So you want to see these, these high investments pay off, um, you know, because they just got rid of Jelani Tavai, a second round pick a couple years ago, um, who just never worked out. And I think that's what really frustrates fans. And yes, I do care about the fans, Sean. Um, you know, I mean, you want the surprises and all that stuff. The guys at the back end of the roster, that's great. But what the Lions really need to do is they need to be hitting home runs with guys like TJ Hawkinson, with guys like Frank Ragnow, you know, your high draft picks. You want to see those things, you know, and frankly, that's what gets GMs fired is when they miss on high draft picks. That's the kind of stuff that is right at the top of their, you know, their resume. And you can't be missing on your high draft picks. So we want to see these guys pay off. Um, you want to see, you know, their second round draft pick, Levi Onwuzurike, you know, um, third round pick, Liam McNeil, you know, two interior defensive tackles. You want to see them take steps. So you want to see movement toward the future from the promising building blocks like that um what do you want to see from the lions this year sean uh, what, what you want to see what dave wants to see i mean like dave said i'm never around right <laughs> no I, I i want to see the yeah you beyond that you want to see do they uh do these players enjoy and like and play for this no coach? no 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 I stop know, it no 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 let me say that i know that's oh such a cliche God. but it, there's some truth to that man do you want to see that <sighs> right 
I mean, the the Lions under the last regime, we're not going to mention names, looked sort of out of sorts and in over the heads from the very beginning, which you wrote about, by the way, right? and then backed away as they got worse for some reason. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, I, 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 what kind of – I'm curious. I, I did that just to have some fun with you. But I, I'm also curious about what kind of style we're going to see, right? You know, not just how they're going to carry themselves. I mean, yeah, X's and O's, but – but there's teams have personalities, and they and I want to see what that looks like. I'm really, really curious to see what that looks like because we, they've got a head coach who called himself an asshole. We can say that on this podcast, <laughs> right? Not that long ago because he caught the long snapper, your your buddy, uh, Dan Mulbach, right, on his birthday? On his 40th birthday, yes. On his 40th birthday. and But the way he talked about it and handled it and referred to himself an asshole – all this other sort of all these Campbellisms, these Dan Campbellisms through through training camp, even prior to training camp, after he was hired, you know, the biting the kneecaps and all that business. I want to see what that looks like in a team, if it looks like anything at all. I don't know. I mean, maybe it won't. So I guess that's what I'm most curious about, as they as you know, they kind of take the field the first couple of months just to see his imprint on all of this and and what it looks like. Or, or not. Totally fair. How about that? Totally fair. And I think I think absolutely we're all curious about that too. You know, Anthony Lynn calling plays. You know, he kind of doesn't have a long track record of, of calling plays. So that's going to be interesting how the offense looks with him. Um, you know, he was an NFL running back and the running game should be better. Uh, Dan Campbell, you know, he's... I think with him, what you can say the most about Campbell right now is that he he keeps preaching to us, forget all the little theatrics, what he keeps preaching is that he's honest with the players, he's straightforward with them, he doesn't he doesn't try to like play mind games with them or whatever it is, or or I have this philosophy or, you know, like a lot of coaches have that, you know, you got to do it this way, you know, he's just honest with them, this is what I expect of you, this is what I want, you can't deliver we can't use you, you know, and, and I think that's what players ultimately appreciate, you know, on in any sport probably, right? It's just tell me, be honest, don't play games with me, um, you know. So I think I think players can get um, behind that. So defensively, there's going to be a lot of different um, moving parts. I mean, there's just uh, the one thing with the defense that I'm interested in is um, Aubrey Pleasant, their uh, secondary coach. Um, he's pretty aggressive. He can be aggressive, and he wants to get these guys playing at a high clip. You know, being being physical, uh, being opportunistic. So, um, if you ever go to when you go to practice and you see him, it's different. He runs his unit at a different speed. It's kind of noticeable. Um, whether that plays out or not is a is a different question. But with guys like Okuda, it'd be interesting to see if he gets more out of these guys, um, and you get some. Some interceptions, some opportunistic pick sixes. Those are the kind of things they can they can tilt the game. So that winning that football, play. my man. I'm sorry, winning football, right? Winning football, absolutely making plays. Yeah, or at least at least glimpses of winning football. Okay, let's uh, let's stay under the umbrella real quick uh, of football, but the shift from the from the pros to the college. We don't want to break. Uh, well, look, we're gonna have plenty of time to talk about Michigan, Michigan State. This the seasons and the games kind of. Uh, unfold, but for right now, before we, we take a, a, a break here and move on to our next su- subject, I'm curious what you think about uh, these two teams and uh, and these two coaches and the, the expectations. Let's start with uh, Jim Harbaugh because we do have a blue wall here. Jim Harbaugh, I mean, it, it, is, is it kind of a make it or break it season for him? Is that is that fair? Um, I mean, that was such a it was such a disappointing disappointing season for them last year. Um, you know, 
getting stomped once again by Ohio State. Uh, what did they finish? Two and four, right? I know. Isn't that weird to say? Two and four. I mean, just two and four. Yeah, last year was just yeah. The, with with COVID, and obviously the 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 games that were canceled and the, no fans in the state in the seats and so forth. But before you go on about Harbaugh, uh, uh, let me ask you this: just overall with college football, do you do you feel like it's back in some way? I mean, oh yeah, fans fans are going to be back. We're going to see tailgating again. Yeah, I'm assuming that. I mean, I don't know what all the COVID protocols are for every school, but I assume that fans are more than eager. And I did a I did a story last year talking to all the different fans from the the six different. Uh, what did it be? Eight different sports, I suppose. The four pros and the four colleges. I mean, tailgating is a huge part of college football. And talking to people about that, um, our, our old friend, Laura Baron Brown. Former city editor at the Detroit Free Press. Yes. You know, fantastic person. Um, and she had this really cool setup in her backyard on her deck. And, and pa- fans just missed it. I mean, it, it's just such a big part of the experience uh, for college football. I, I think, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think people are more interested or <laughs> psyched about getting back to the tailgating than they are actual D. De- to get into the stadium, um, but no, uh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my take for sure, Carlos. In fact, I'm traveling to uh, Chicago f- Friday afternoon, uh, late Friday morning, actually, to watch Northwestern uh, host Michigan State. It's kind of odd to have a Big Ten opener this early, but uh, that's kind of the way, you know. But it's also a good test for Michigan State. But one of the things I'm most looking forward to is is walking through fans and tailgates, you know, when you park your car and you get to the stadium and that's going to be back. And I know Northwestern's obviously not Ohio state or Penn state or Michigan or even Michigan state in terms of that scene, but they still have a bit of a scene. They also have a lot of Spartan fans there, as you know, there are a lot of MSU alums in in Chicago. So I'm actually Carlos really looking forward to that. And then also I'm going to fly back Saturday morning and go to the Michigan game and try to see a, you know, I'm sure there'll be a, a similar scene. And uh, I think we we I don't know about you, but I took that for granted a little bit. I, you know, it was it was really strange, obviously, for a lot of people, and economically, it was really tough for a lot of schools and so forth, lots of folks. But to get that back, I think even more so for college than pros. I mean, obviously, the NFL had a few fans here and there last year, but I just I think that's really important. And um, it's almost I don't want to say Harbaugh had a, a free pass last year because of the two and four record, but. Not having the full college football experience, do you think that did kind of say, okay, that was just a weird year. We're going to wipe that out and see what he does this year. No, I, I think I think I think the Michigan fan base is done with him. I think they're they're tired. They've seen enough. You know, um, no no Big Ten championships. You know, uh, let alone playing for a national title or anything like that. I think the 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 bar was so high for Harbaugh that you know he hasn't come close to it. You know, and, and even. Even all that early recruiting sizzle, you know, sleeping at guys' houses and the shirtless camps and all these different things, even that's gone away. You know, there's just, it's just like this this wet blanket, you know, over Ann Arbor right now because of the way the program is. There's, you know, he's he's changed the the coaching staff, brought in different guys. So so he keeps rearranging the deck chairs basically on the Titanic. It feels like, you know, and it hasn't paid off, you know, and. and it's just when when guys come in, you know, they're supposed to be the savior, and, and you don't see it. You know, right now, what what can you really be excited about with Michigan? What what points you in that direction that you think like, oh, this is the difference. This is going to be the the better year, the 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 turnaround year for Harbaugh. You know, nobody's expecting a a division championship out of him, right? No, I think you're I, I think you're right. So 
look, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about Harbaugh. I, I, some, in some ways, folks are probably tired of talking about him. But if he wins this year, if he shows – if the team gets better, um, you know, they named a starting quarterback, Keg McNamara, who I thought has a, showed a little bit of something last year. I mean, we'll see this year. Obviously, he was fighting with Joe Milton last year. But I think he could be he could be a sneaky good quarterback. And I don't know. I don't know how much they have in skill positions outside. We'll see. In any case, th- th- you're right. I'm, I'm with you. Original premise. This is this is the year for Harbaugh to uh, to say, okay, I deserve a little bit more time, or you know, th- th- it was a seven year experiment, and and enough's enough. Speaking of uh, of new coaches, he's not so new anymore. But speaking of coaches that are going to get more time than this year, how about Mel Tucker, Michigan State? What do you expect? What does he need to show uh, with the Spartans this season? Yeah, so that's that's another one, right? They were two and five, right? Finished at the bottom of, of the West last year. So they beat Michigan though, right? They beat Michigan and they beat Northwestern, who they open with, right? So right, right. one to only I think two losses for Northwestern. So maybe the bar's high there now because hey Mel, you beat you, you beat the Wildcats last year, you better beat them this year, you know, or else it's a it's a step back somehow. But uh I was reading some of Chris Solari's excellent coverage on uh on the Spartans and you know, he points out 53% of the roster has yet to play a game for Tucker. 21 transfer players, 20 new freshmen, 19 others who haven't played for Michigan State yet. That's a huge turnover. I mean, even in college, that's that's almost unheard of, I would think. Um, so I, I don't know. Can you even can you base anything on on what happened last year? I mean, it just seems like such a complete makeover for this program. No, it, it, it's a staggering amount of new new folks, new faces. Um, I mean, some faces some faces that have been there a little bit, but maybe haven't been on the field much. I think uh, I, you know, from all by all accounts, they, they probably have a little more talent than they did a year ago. Maybe a touch more speed. You know how that all fits together and what that looks like. I you know I don't know, but um, I don't think that it would be good if if they do the equivalent of. What were they two and five last year? So what would that in a full season? What's that? Three and nine or four and four and ten? I guess they don't play fourteen games, but something like that. I think they need to be a little bit better than that. Uh, I think the fan base would love it if they snuck into a bowl, won six games, right? I think they'd be happy with that, to be honest with you. And show again, we're talking about with Dan Campbell and what the, what are the Lions going to look like? That the, the personality of the team. I think we need to see. And Tucker, Mel Tucker certainly wants to show a little bit of what his culture and, and what that's going to look like on the field for the Spartans. And uh, so, you know, if they show a little bit of that, uh, I think people it'll just get people even more excited for the following year. You know, you know, when you think about that, you know, that what you're saying about the Lions and, you know, what they're going to do and what they're going to be under Michigan State's going to be under Mel Tucker. I think that if all these teams, if Michigan and Michigan State, if they if they qualify for a bowl game, and specifically Michigan, if they win the bowl game, um, which they haven't done a lot of with Harbaugh, like if they if these teams win qualify for a bowl game and win a bowl game, that's a huge success to me. And in the Lions, I think if they finish somewhere, you know, not last in the NFC North, not fourth, but but third, maybe flirting with second, and they're playing. There's not compl- hope isn't over by Thanksgiving if they're at least like hey. They might sneak into a wild. They're still kind of in the wild card, realistic wild card hunt around December, November, whatever, late November. I think that's a that's a win for the Lions, you know. So, 
something like that. This is the Carlos and Sean show, right? Carlos is in Carlos Menares. <laughs> yes, who else? What the heck did you just say? What, I don't understand. Where's this positivity? We'll explore that uh, positivity, though, when we come back. We're going to take a, a short break, and we will return in a, in a moment. Hi, my name is Phoebe Wall Howard, and I am an automotive reporter at the Detroit Free Press. This year, we have covered an incredible range of stories, people, products, business trends, everything about cars and the people who design them, as well as the people who buy them, whether it's the Ford F-150 all-electric Lightning or the Mustang Mach-E, the hot little Maverick, or a profile on the chief engineer, Linda Zhang, who plans to transform the industry with her vision of electrification. We also do profiles of executives behind the scenes, how things come to be, and in the case of Ford Motor Company, why Oreo cookies played such a major role in the development of truck design. Many, many people reach out and ask, how can we support your work or how can we read more about this? And one of the easiest ways is to subscribe to the Detroit Free Press. We are the most reasonably priced in the whole country. For $1, you can receive six months of digital access for all of my work and that of my team on the autos coverage, as well as news, politics, education here at the Detroit Free Press. To learn more, head to freep.com backslash special offer. Thanks so much. That's a, that's really something, Carlos. I can't believe you're talking about the playoffs on the line. <laughs> well, like being in the top, you know. But that's the thing. You look at the stupid the playoff tracker, and like every team's in there. You know, they're eight games back, but they're still in the hunt, whatever. But this is unbelievable. What's your prediction going to be? I haven't gone really too much game by game. I think I did it when the schedule came out, but I think like six wins. So even the, even that's that's going to be. For the first time in a while, you're going to pick more wins than even the Mr. Burkett, aren't you? I think he did his game by game, and I think it was six as well. Okay. But okay. don't forget, 17 games, so one more game than normal, so six isn't what six used to be. Okay, okay. All right, well, welcome back to the uh, Free Press Sports uh, with – it's Carlos, right? God, why do I keep forgetting your name, Carlos? I mean, I feel like I, I can't see you. I haven't seen you in months. But I feel like you're right there. Well, that's what Dave Briquette says about both of us. He hasn't seen either uh, one of us. It, well, in any case, and, and and by the way, I guess I needed to adjust my microphone a little bit there. I was I was almost making out with it, and that was a no no with Tad. So we're we're learning. <laughs> we're, we're, we're we're learning anyway. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to move on. We we wrapped up a little bit of the football talk with some numbers. We prediction. Carlos is predicting maybe six wins for the Lions. Speaking of numbers, though, Carlos. In the last month, we had, uh, I don't know, one of the best sports stories of the year around here, right? Oh, yeah. Miguel Cabrera hit his 500th home run. Uh, it was like a great feeling, but uh, it was nice timing because we tied the game right there. In the evening, uh, that was beautiful because we come in today, like, try to win the series and trying to go here at 2-1. and one. Um, It was like a really good game. And finally, we got an extra inning and we won the game. And... um. I think folks kind of enjoyed the enjoyed the ride after a little bit of uh, what's the word, Carlos? Sort of misery with this team the last several years. I know the Tigers have been better this year overall, but uh, what did you take away to the from the reaction to that uh, countdown? And then when he finally hit the 500th home run in Toronto? Oh, it was the first time that that the Tigers were 
really front and center on the sports pages, um, on everybody's mind, you know, talk radio, um, all this. Or, you know, th- this is this is the the biggest sort of uh, indication of how much fans are behind this is Mr. Bandwagon himself, Dave Burkett, took his kids to one of the games, hoping to catch the 500th home run ball and immediately sell it and make his fortune that way. So he didn't. it didn't happen, obviously, because uh, it didn't happen in Detroit. But yeah, everybody was talking about it. Miggy, 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 you know, and everybody kept... I mean, I have to say, I was recording every game and I would watch it and just go to fast forward basically to his at bats to see if it was happening. And everybody has their cell phone now, so it was it was a it was a fun ride, Sean. It it, it really was, and you're right. Saying that it was back on front front of the sports pages. I mean, that's a that's kind of an old school thing, but it, it's a good way to put it. And it wasn't just it wasn't just around here, right? I mean, it was a national story within the baseball community, and um, I think um, it was. I I saw enough coverage nationally. I mean, you know, obviously ESPN and. I mean, it wasn't like Derek Jeter uh, going for his mile, some kind of milestone or something like that, or when he retired. But it was there was enough coverage out there. It wasn't just local, which surprised me because he's always been such kind of a an under the radar star. Yeah, he. I don't. I don't remember. I don't. I mean, I don't know enough whether like ESPN was cutting into their coverage whenever he came to bat or not. Um, I don't. I didn't see that. You know, it's one of those milestone things. But Miguel Cabrera is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, slam dunk. So. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that you see coming. So, and baseball loves numbers, you know, loves these numbers. So uh, it, it, he, he's going to join a very exclusive club close, you know, when he gets his 3,000th hit. So um, he's going to end up being one of the all-time great baseball players in, you know, in history. So this is part of him marching into the annals of history. So it, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. This is why we watch baseball for these kind of moments. Yes, it's it's one of the reasons. It's one of the absolutely. I agree with you. You know, one of the things you and I were talking about uh, on the phone the other day, Carlos, when we were discussing this, and I, I think this. I, I guess I was, I was really fascinated by the reaction. I mean, obviously, numbers are huge in baseball, and five hundred is a big one, and it's you know Miguel Cabrera. And if you love the Tigers, you you love Cabrera, but he hasn't been you know the the peak peak player for a, a while, three four years at least. And there were, you know, he signed a huge contract extension. Was it six years ago, seven years ago? I can't remember how long it's been. And uh, I think when he signed that extension, um, and Mr. Illich was uh, senior, was still was still on the team. It's almost a he was. It was almost like he was paying Cabrera for what he had done, you know, for for his his effort in bringing the Tigers baseball back, along with a couple of uh, other guys. You know, Justin Verlander comes to mind, but. They kind of had a, 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 a. They were really close. Uh, you know, you could question whether that was money well spent. People, a lot of fans wondered what it was going to look like. You know how it's looked, right? The last three, four years, and there were folks that wanted him out or or wished that the Tigers weren't saddled with that contract. So to watch that kind of feeling and the team kind of scuffling around the last few years, to then what unfolded the last month or so. Was uh was really striking. It's just it's interesting the psychology of that, right, Carlos? Just how you can be kind of oh god, I want him out, and oh my god, this is one of the best players ever, and I'm we're lucky to get to watch him in our backyard. Yeah, you know, and that's the, that's the nice thing is that you know because we've had to kind of you know watch the decline. You know, at least he's here in a Tigers uniform, um, getting to these milestones. So at least there's a little bit of payoff at the end. And you know, I was talking to um. 
uh, I was at an event recently. I was talking to Jason Beck, who covers the Tigers for MLB. You know, really good writer, uh, really knowledgeable. And we we're talking about these these big contracts, and it happened with Pujols as well. You know, and it, I, I wish that you know Jason was making the point that you know they have to make these these longer term contracts, these long you know multi year deals, even though they know the players will never either reach the end of it or or they'll be a shadow of the player that they were, you know, when they first signed it. Um, he's, you know, it's like it helps the team spread the money out, you know, for the payroll and all that stuff. And but it's just, I wish there was a better way because it's just hard to watch these guys. You know, the guys like, um, you know, all of them. I mean, they all go through it when they sign these big contracts. I mean, even Victor Martinez a few years ago. You know, I mean, he was probably two years past his expiration date by the time he hung it up. So. Um, but yeah, it, it, so it's good to be able to see this. And Miggy just recently said he's playing two more years. He's going to play his, you know, when he's forty. You know, two more in, in two years from now, he'll be his fortieth uh, season, fortieth year season, and then he'll hang it up. So we'll be able to watch him. And and I don't know, like you brought up Jeter. You know, is it going to be like that? Is it going to be this little, you know, goodbye farewell parade through the ballparks in his last season? And I don't know. Do you think it? He might get something like that. Mm, not like Jeter. I just, I mean, the Yankees are probably the biggest difference. He was a short, you know, Jeter was a shortstop. He kind of had the, I mean, he just had that magnetism that he was comfortable with, right, from the from the very start. And, and Cabrera actually has kind of a sneaky charisma about him. He just, it's just not ever something he wanted. He he also has a different kind of burden, I think, than than Jeter. The, the expectation, I remember him talking about this when he was younger, the expectation of his home country in Venezuela. And the pressure that that uh, that goes with that. I mean, he's arguably the play, the greatest player that country's ever produced. And is okay. So speaking of that and the level that he's that he was at uh, for a six seven year run, you could argue is as good as any right handed hitter ever. Really. I mean, I'm not saying he's the best, but but uh, look, if if he plays two more years, he plays next year. Obviously, he's going to get to three thousand hits. Carlos, there's six players with 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Rafael Palmero, Albert Pujols, Alex Rodriguez, and Eddie Murray. Six. So he'd be the seventh. That, that's kind of crazy when you think about it, when you think about the thousands of, of guys who've played this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is crazy. Um, and it's interesting, right? So how many really um – uh, I guess we could say four of those guys, Palmero, Pujols, Rodriguez, and Murray, played in the modern era, um, you know, where I think maybe, you know, there's been more specialization, more technology, more science behind, you know, batting and longevity and and health science and all these different things. So we may, I don't know, maybe we'll see this more. Maybe we'll see these guys, the Tatises of the world. And- maybe, but on the other hand, guys are coming out of middle relief and throwing 95, and the ball's moving. You know what I mean? It's... So the pitching is 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 right there too. In fact, I I think I think I, I saw a story the other day, Carlos, that this has been the one of the longest gaps between players that hit 500 home runs. And if you look and at the current players, there are only a couple of guys that are even remotely close. Uh, I want to say Nelson Cruz maybe is the closest, but he's 40 or 50 away, and I, I he's older than Cabrera. I don't know that he's going to get there. And the next closest might be 110, 150 homers away, right? So it's it it doesn't now who knows you're right I mean technology could change but just for a second before we move on to our our, our last subject and take take another break here just for you when 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 Miguel Cabrera was at his peak 
and he was hitting 330 every year for six, seven years, and he was he was hitting the kind of home runs that he hit, not just the moon shots, but the opposite field stuff, the way he moved his hands, the balance he had at, at, at the plate, the way he carried himself. He was just so light. It was almost like a dancer, 6'4", 240 pounds. And you would hear other baseball guys and baseball players and managers talk about him or stop what they were doing to watch him. But what was that like for you when he was – when he was at his uh, best it was fantastic i mean it was a gift to be able to see that kind of stuff and you know and 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 he was just um to me it was his hands his hands were just so quick you know he he just he i mean people talked about ted williams you know being able to see the seams on the ball and everything and i almost feel like cabrera had some of that that ability, you know, and the other thing nice about Cabrera is he liked to play a lot and he was a good fielder and he's still a good fielder at first base. So, you know, he was a complete player in that way. Just it wasn't fast. He was, he never had speed, but, but just watching him. And like you said, Sean, I mean, hitting for power, hitting for average opposite field. I mean, he could do everything. That was, it was just a great joy to see him swing the bat in his prime. I remember I did a, a, a tell you a quick story before, before we, wrap this segment up uh i was doing a long profile one time on on, on cabrera i don't know 2011 or 12 it was somewhere in there and i talked to a, a bunch of people in in the game and one of them was ron gardenhire was at the time the the manager of the minnesota twins who came over and managed the tigers the, the last few years before aj hinch in any case I, I went into his office uh before a game one day you know back in the days when you could do that kind of thing and Really, that's the great thing about baseball is you, you can have these sort of casual, relaxed chats. And I just asked him, we started talking to him about Miguel Cabrera. He said, you know, he's, he, he remembered a, there would there'd be at-bats. Cabrera would come up to bat. And this would be at Comerica, so the, maybe even in the old Twin Stadium too. But so the dugout where, where um, Gardenhire was. So Cabrera bats right-handed. So he's at the, at the plate, and he can see over his right shoulder back to the, the opponent's dugout, and that's where Gardenhire would be. He said between pitches, he would sort of step back and swing his right foot back. So he's opening his stance. He's looking back at the dugout, trying to figure out how they're communicating. You know, we're talking about sign stealing. All that. He's literally trying to figure out how they're communicating or sometimes just to mess with him. And, and, and the reason Gardenhire was blown away by that is because when you're in the batter's box and you know this, like, say, over a golf ball, the amount of focus you need, right? to try to square that bat up on that ball and the concentration and the quiet that so many players uh, need, that he was able to just sort of casually just be fun and silly sometimes, you know, or, or mess with opponents like that in the middle of an at-bat. It just I mean, it just blew Gardenhire in a way, and you would just hear story after story about. And I, I've always felt like, Carlos, that was the most underrated part of him is how calm and quiet he is. Carlos Pena, who used to play for the Tigers and who struggled – Went on, actually had a pretty successful career in Tampa. I remember he, he spoke Spanish, English. He spoke Italian. It was maybe another language. Really, really smart, intellectual, renaissance guy. But he told me one time he'd get in the batter's box. He couldn't make his mind quiet. And that's what the best hitters do. That's what the greatest players do. You could say they do that in any sport. But he could get in there and get to the quiet. And uh, and that's what I've always thought about him. And you combine in the hands you talk about and everything else and and you get the player we've uh, we've seen, which is at this point one of the the best hitters in the history of the game. And you know that's the interesting thing, Sean, about Miggy was that 
he wasn't in the you know in the clubhouse you know when when we've been in there i don't know if you'd agree with this but i never got the sense he was completely comfortable in the clubhouse with the reporters around he never warmed up to us never really got to be himself um i think around enough people so that we could get close to him and 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 see him but when he was on the field he was completely comfortable and he still does it and he still messes with guys when they get to first base and pulls their batting gloves out of their pockets and he looks at the fans he chirps at the opposing dugout you know and that's that part of that i think the not only the the genius of it but the the artistry of it with him and the reason why he's never wanted to be just a dh i think because he feels he needs an involvement in the game that back and forth you know the 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 chess match of the game you know and um that to me has also been it's been it's been really nice to see a guy who enjoys playing the game it's not just a job to him he's not grinding and spitting and breaking bats over his knee you know he really has i think he'll miss the game i think when he's out he's going to miss that that camaraderie and the 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 you know uh competition i guess from other players yeah and just and just trying to figure out how to do one of the most difficult things in sports and and he's done it better than than most of the of the players who've ever been a part of this game and um and it was just kind of good to see carlos that all come and some of those stories come back and, and, and people talk about his greatness. I think that was good for, for – I'm sure it was good for him, but it was good for the team and, and, and this fan base uh, to, to have that moment. So, look, we're going to take another quick break, and we will be right back. Hello, I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game, Freak beat writer Chris Lowry and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the longest-running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom have spent a decade-plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game on the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartans Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice. Welcome back. And uh, look, Carlos wrote uh, a really, really good column today about that you can find on freepress.com or freep.com, sorry, about the Taylor, uh, the Little League team from Taylor and um, and winning the World Series. And the first time that a team has done that in Michigan since when, the 40s, early 50s, Carlos? 59, Hamtramck, 1959. Okay, 1959. And one of the things I liked about Carlos's piece is that he, he, he personalized a little bit about his own uh, dealings with youth sports when he was a young porter, and I'm going to have him tell you about it. But just, uh, Carlos, will you, you talk a little bit about not just, I mean, obviously the team and, and what it means to Taylor and what it means to Michigan, but also your connection to this and, and digging way back into your life. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to ask you about your connection too because I have, we, we have different experiences in this, and my kids never played youth sports. But when I was a young reporter, one of my first jobs was to cover youth sports which is little league you know ayso that kind of stuff and uh this is back in in the early 90s in pasadena california and boy they whoever the 
previous beat writer was for eSports couldn't wait to get rid of it because uh, it was dealing with parents. And parents can be difficult. As a parent myself now, I've seen it. Sean, you've seen it. You've been a parent. You've coached your kids. You've, you've been around it. And uh, they just kind of lose their, their senses about them sometimes. It's emotional, you know, for them to see their kids out there. They want to see them play well and my kid's not playing enough and this and that. Um, it, it, it was difficult. Um, but I did, I did, I was lucky enough to meet a person, a man um, named Bill Sterling, who was really good. And he ran their, the, the local hockey team there, the organization. And uh, his son, Brett Sterling, ended up going to the NHL playing uh, for a few years uh, with a few teams. And it, he was the first guy who kind of explained how things worked, why parents could get mad, how to kind of deal with them a little bit better. Um, and he was very, he did things the right way. I think he, he didn't worry about uh, winning at all costs. He cared more about, you know, engagement and fairness and good sportsmanship. And I think that's what we saw from the Taylor North Little League team, you know, on their way to winning the the championship, the World Little League World Series in, in um, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. They beat a team from Hamilton, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati. Uh, great game. Um, they went through the whole bracket. I watched every game, Sean. I watched, I recorded them, I watched them, and uh, it was fun. You know, not only was it, were they a good team, they had good fundamentals. Um, and they played the game quickly, too. That's another thing that, as a Major League Baseball fan, I love baseball, but it takes forever. There's just so many, so much time between pitches, so much looking for signals, adjusting the batting gloves, stepping out of the box, uh, all this, even with the pitch clock, it, it's helped a little, but it's still too slow, and I think that's why you get games over three hours. It's way too long, especially a lot of night games. It was, it was just a breath of fresh air, and boy, these kids just were good. They had fun, good sports. It was it was just a joy to see them, you know, compete and win it all. Well, it's fun. It's fun too because you're right. They're twelve year olds, right? Basically, maybe some maybe some eleven year olds. I think it's ten to twelve. You can be uh, in the tournament. Okay. Yeah. So so we're talking about you know fairly young kids, and to watch them, I think I think part of what makes it so enthralling is I mean you know people get romantic. And about the 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 purity and and all that sort of the innocence and all that sort of thing and that's all that's all part of it I'm sure but but what I think is great is uh, the idea that you can be that young and perform under that kind of pressure because their their games are getting televised nationally like you said you were watching the games and um I, I just the way they handle themselves what they learn in that I just uh, I I think that's really really impressive for. For folks, uh, or for excuse me, for kids at that at that age, that's that's what I'm always amazed at when I watch it. Yeah, it was interesting because they, the, you know, they did little snippets. They they had the the manager Rick Thorning. He was he was miked, um, who by the way did a fantastic job. You know, he I, I always worry sometimes about these these coaches or managers and and what message they're they're giving their kids. But he just seemed to press all the right buttons. He just seemed to know when to talk to them, how to talk to them. Before the game, he told them, hey, this is the last game you guys will ever play together as a team. It's the last game we're playing here. You'll ever play here at Williamsport. You know, let's go out there, you know, remember who you are, represent yourself well, represent the team well. Um, and I think the kids went out there and they, they really enjoyed it, it seemed. You know, I think, I think, you know, Sean, you know, you and I are old guys, but when we used to compete um, on any kind of real level, I think when you're in the moment of competition, 
I don't think you get too caught up in there's cameras, there's reporters. You're like you're focused. The distraction of the competition, I think, helps you focus and not worry about the the exterior, external things and what people are thinking and cameras. Um, so I think these kids looked at ease. You know, they and I don't know if that's harder to do. I've never played on a national stage, so but I remember in big moments in my athletic career, you know, I was able to just not think too much about what does this mean you know like just buckle down focus on what you need to do maybe it'll work out maybe it won't but um well you were a stud come on let's be real i mean i got i got i got nervous when my dad came he he didn't come very often i didn't see him all that much and and when he would show up and i mean right i would get yeah it would completely throw me off i'm not in a bad way but so i remember that some kids got rattled by their parents being in the in the stands and it depends on the relationship those kids have with their with their parents. Absolutely. But in any case, it's, it was a great story. It's a great column. Um, I hope uh, I hope you you folks out there who are listening will go back and and, and check it out and uh, learn a little bit more about Carlos's psyche too. Right, his childhood, <laughs> the the forces that shape the um, optimistic and sunny personality that uh, that we see today. Okay, look, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. Speaking of sunny and um, and uh, optimism. Carlos wants to tell me, I guess every week from here from here on out, as long as we do this, what his favorite thing was from the previous week, an, an experience, a, a moment, something he saw, something he watched, something he tasted. Um, I assume you still eat, right? You're not a complete robot. Well, as far as you know, I'm not a complete robot. Okay, okay. Now you have your you you have your favorite thing too, right? We both have to have our yeah yeah no, and and then I'll and then and then I'll share mine. So so go ahead, Carlos. What was your what was your favorite thing of the last week? Okay, I have. Two, one, one is a minor favorite thing was... Okay, that's cheating, but, but go ahead. <laughs> well, it's our first one, so I've saved it up. Um, all right, my favorite thing that I'm watching right now is a show on Hulu called Nine Perfect Strangers. Um, it stars um, Nicole Kidman and Melissa McCarthy, Michael Shannon. And it's, it's, it's adapted from a book from the same author who wrote Big Little Lies and they made that into a TV show on, I think it was HBO or something. But it's really good. The writing's really good. Um, it's it's funny, but it can be a little dark. It's all about uh, people who are flawed, struggling with their lives, and they're going to this basically retreat, a resort that's like a high-end place that's supposed to make you better. Um, and it's just, it's just fantastic writing. One of the great lines in it, I think it was last week maybe, is Michael Shannon. Um, he's, he's had a big loss in his life and he says, you know, he's had a trouble opening up and he says, you know, I've been emotionally constipated. So that kind of writing, Sean, I know that, that, that is right up your alley, uh, right out of something like Ozark that you would love. Um, so if you get a chance, check it out. Now, my favorite thing, my, my favorite thing from last week for sure is, and then this is, this is breaking news sort of is last week, Freep Stars the softball entry at Belle Isle for the Detroit Free Press won its first game of the season. We were 0-7, or I'm sorry, we were 0-6, and we beat the Scorpion Roses, who were also 0-6, so a battle of the, of the winless teams, and we beat them 9-8. I think it was a comeback win, maybe in the last inning. So that was a fantastic athletic achievement for a bunch of old, uh, tired well past their prime uh, reporters and editors at the Free Press. Um, and our, our coach is Tyler Davis, who's one of our sports editors. And after the game, 
you know, we're talking about how bad we've been, but we're getting a little better. And, he, and Tyler says, well, we're not the best. But Jim Schaefer says, yeah, but we're not the worst. So we were able to rally behind that. And I think that's, uh, it's, it was, it was a fun, it was a fun moment shared between a lot of the, the, uh, the co-workers at the old Freep. That's twice now that you refer to yourself as a stud. So I'm just not that I'm keeping count or anything like that. <laughs> oh, I had a little to do with this. I think it's awesome. But uh, okay, my favorite thing, real quickly, other than the fact that uh, we're starting the podcast and I get to, I get to shepherd, you know, the the the, the human Carlos out into the world, or at least have a small hand in it. So that's kind of cool. You know what I mean? People get to see a different side of you. No, my favorite thing is I'm going to get a little bit not. I don't want to get too treacly or, or sappy here, but my. Uh, my youngest son went off to college. We moved him off, and I was, you know, for anybody that has a kid, right, and you get to this point, you, you're proud, you're excited for him, you have a little, not anxiety, maybe a touch of that. You you worry about your own emotions and how you're, you 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 don't want to take away from their moment. And I, I thought, God, what kind of a blubbering mess am I going to be? And I, I knew I'd be fine until I got in the car, on the, actually the U-Haul on the way back. And I get in the truck, and uh, Carlos, and, and start driving, and I could feel it. And then I get home that night, and the house doesn't feel the same for sure. And that's going to take some getting used to. But uh, but I but I realized that you know it was okay, and he's going to be he's going to be okay. And uh, I mean I knew he was going to be okay, but but uh, and and we'll get used to it. And we were lucky to have him uh, as long as we did. COVID gave us a little extra time, and uh, so we were grateful for that. Um, I, I think a lot of people were in that way. But in any case, that that was my favorite thing. Sometimes you just have these moments, Carlos, where you're not sure. And then you figure out you're gonna be okay, and so we're okay. How about that? That's that's really nice. That's a nice nice favorite thing from last week. It's uh, and I think a lot of people go through it. I think a lot of people can relate to that, Sean. And uh, you know, I'm, I, it'll happen to me pretty soon. So, yep, I'm right. I'm right with you. We'll get to my. Uh, we'll get to some Danish television shows later. No, I'm I'm, I'm kidding. We'll we'll get to some TV <laughs> stuff next week. Listen, uh, Carlos has been a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to doing it uh, again next week, and and hopefully for lots of weeks after that. Any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Um, I hope we win again this week in softball, but I'm not guaranteeing <laughs> anything. See, it's all about the competition, and I guess that's the way it should be. This is a show, after all, based. Uh, at least a good part on sports. Thanks for uh, joining us here. And uh, Tad, take us out. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. Also thanks to Tad Davis, our producer, Anjanette Delgado and Kirkland Crawford, our executive producers, and the big guy, the editor, Peter Batia. If you like the show, leave a rating, subscribe, and share it. We'll see you next week.